All right, welcome. We got uh, we got uh, talk all about the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, and then we're going to talk about mine and Hannah's former restaurant jobs. This is the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name is Dusty Slay, and she's Hannah Hogan. Welcome. Hannah Hogan. Oh, gosh. I'm always so bad at it when you're cueing me. I thought you were saying welcome to them. I didn't realize you were welcoming me. Hey. Nah, nah people just that are listening are just going to be hearing a recording. So. Oh, all right. Yeah, okay. So they're not going to. All right. All right. Okay. Hey. Yeah, all right. Hannah Hogan. <laughs> all right. Hi, Desi. We're back. We're doing a nighttime podcast. We normally don't like to do our podcast at night because we get tired. And, uh, but we've, we've got a lot going on. I got to go out of town tomorrow. So we're just going to, we're going to get it done. This is Tuesday night and we're just going to go ahead and pop out this podcast. It's exciting. We've had a lot going on. Uh, we've been very busy. Yeah. I'm so excited, uh, to have a full recap of, uh, your adventures in Montreal, Canada. I know. It's It's great. Very exciting. I was so nervous for you. Should we do a little like explanation to people that like aren't necessarily familiar? Because we were sort of saying that like uh, maybe I, only comedy nerds even really know what Just for Laughs are. Well, I think that uh, we could just say that according to Just for Laughs and according to most people that I've heard, it's the biggest comedy festival in the world. Yeah. And you you don't get to submit really. I mean, I think you can audition, but you get invited. And yeah. it's the Illuminati of comedy. It's a great honor to be invited and. Uh, I was happy to be there, but let's go ahead and just talk about our segment, where we've been, where we're going. Oh, okay, yeah. You know? I love this segment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorites, but I think it's our only actual segment, <laughs> no, too. No, we have, we have the advice to comics segment. Oh, yeah. We have the – and then we have our uh, big breakdown of what we're doing, you know, our big show. And then sometimes, you know, we got uh, – uh, no, we have other segments. Yeah, you know what? I love all the segments. <laughs> now that I'm thinking of them, you know, I like all of them. I like all of them equally. Like segments are sort of like children to me. I love them all equally. They're different. They give me different feelings and emotions. Yeah. Well, I feel the same way mm-hmm. about the segments. Yeah. All right. So where we're going? Where we've been? Where we've been? Uh, obviously, I was in Montreal, Canada, for the first time ever. I'm going to get more into that in a bit, but I was there for from Tuesday. Uh, to Saturday night, and and then on Sunday I did shows at Zany's Nashville. Did two shows with John Christ and Aaron Weber. Uh, the shows were both sold out, packed out, fun shows, really really fun. Uh, a lot of people. I mean, the, the crowds were so great. They were just nice people. Like a lot of them didn't even drink. They they had to buy water at the club, uh, or they had to buy something. So they bought bottled water and. Uh, so many people were exiting the club with two bottles of water in their hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's interesting. You you were in one of the most secular cities in the world, Montreal, French, famously uh, wanted to separate church from state. And then uh, you did a show uh, for a Christian comedy base the very next day. Yeah. And uh, I enjoyed them both. Mm-hmm. I had a wonderful time. Great. And then what about you? What what did you do this weekend? I didn't – well, I did a little bit of comedy, just local comedy around uh, Nashville. I did a couple open mics, but uh, I spent uh, – I spent. Did an week- open mic at the Cobra. Yeah, at the Cobra in East Nashville. 
Um, I spent uh, I spent a lot of time kind of uh, sleeping and then also hanging out with friends, catching up with friends and catching up with family, uh, uh, Dusty's family in Alabama. I went oh, to yeah. Alabama for a couple days and I hung out with Dusty's sister and her uh, adorable family. And uh, so, yeah, it was just more of a social reconnecting and, they, and sleeping uh, week for me. And they told you about the – my family told you about the Mobile train wreck, man. Yes, yes. The Mobile train wreck, man. I think I talked about this before, but this guy freaked me out for a long time. What happened was a train wrecked in Mobile, killing people. And there was on the news well, – this was when I was a kid. And there was like – you could hear the guy like calling 911 – and in the background, you could just hear people dying. That call haunted me for my my along with the uh, three men and a little baby uh, ghost. The mobile train wreck man also. Yeah, that was a podcast that I did while you weren't here. Yeah, it's good hanging out with your family when you're not around because I can get some real insights to your character and your childhood and yeah. uh, bring them back and use them against you. And just how terrified I was as a kid all the time, basically. Yeah. In the daytime, I was having a great time. The nighttime brought the fears of ghosts around because, you know, they have a lot of ghost hauntings and trailers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we can't do podcasts at night. You know, it's too creepy for you. Yeah. You need to yeah. be shutting those blinds and just, you know, praying. You know, I always felt like that, you know, like three or four o'clock in the morning was the weirdest times. Mm-hmm. I felt like that's the scariest times. But, you know, there is, from what I understand, some significance to 3 a.m. as if it is that twilight time of night. And that's when they say that, you know, hypothetical witches will, will, do spells and things at 3 a.m. The witching hour is what they call it. Mm, 3 a.m. is around the time I get up and go get a snack. <laughs> so I don't know what you're trying to tell me. Maybe I'm some kind of witch. But that's why there's a lot of songs about 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. that's interesting. Yeah, so I was in Alabama. I was in uh, Nashville, and I uh, I slept. I read. And I hung out. I connected with women. I hung out with some girlfriends. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm I'm hanging out with my friends a lot because I'm kind of on the road, and then I get home and I'm tired. Mm-hmm. But I did a lot of that, and that was really nice. And uh, where where we're, are we doing the where we're going to? And at five a.m., it always felt like <laughs> five a.m. always felt like that that we had made it. You know what I mean? Like my mom worked third shift a lot, so I'd be by myself. And if I stayed up all night, or if I woke up periodically through the night, if I woke up at three a.m., it would freak me out. Yeah. If I woke up at 5 a.m., I'm like, yes, made it through another night. Yeah, and you're such a manly man, but you really do have a deep-seated uh, fear of ghosts, demons, things in the dark, squiggly things. I think that I saw one. Realm. I think that I saw one in that old house that we lived in. You remember that? When oh. I jumped out of the bed. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Let's tell that story. That was pretty creepy. Well, yeah, let's tell that we story. We were in bed. And, uh, we weren't doing anything nasty. We were just being friends. No, we, yeah, we were in bed, like, uh, like about to go to sleep. Yeah. And we had four roommates at the time. And I was like, felt like I had completely dozed off. And then I looked up, and at the foot of the bed, there was a person standing there, but it was so dark that I couldn't make out who it was. And I thought that maybe one of the roommates had come into the room and it freaked me out so bad. I jumped out of the bed and then it was gone. Didn't you see some sort of flashing green too? 
or was that a different time? I oh, thought maybe so. I, I seem to recall you being like there was some sort of effervescent maybe so color involved as well. Now, now with that episode, I also was sort of on the precipice of sleep. Um, but I didn't see anything, but I do remember hearing like a click. Yeah, there was a weird. Do you remember that? There was like, I just remember because all I remember hearing was, or having felt like I remembered a click and then you being like, oh gosh. <laughs> like it was just sort of like, oh gosh. It scared me. And then you jumped out of bed. I'm like, what, what, what? Yeah. And you're like, oh gosh. And when Dusty's scared, it's like that initial, oh gosh. And then just. And then it's just like a, a very like silent, like you're, you're sort of like trying to collect yourself. Well, I had to take it in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like. And you had to be a man in front of me. But, but you know, it's like my fear of things is has never been like people necessarily breaking in. Yeah. It's been ghosts showing up. Too much unsolved mysteries for me. Do you think that that's what happened is you were watching too many scary shows as a kid? Yeah, and I liked them. And I also liked telling ghost stories. I like for I used to like for people to tell me ghost stories. Yeah. But it just it just led me to a it just put too many things in my mind. Well, we did live in a really old antebellum house. Yes. You know. So So who knows? And we live in the south, so it's very well, I feel like there's got to be a lot of I'm sure there's ghosts all over this country. Sure. A lot yeah. of death. Yes. yes. So, all right. So where we're going. So from ghosts to continuing our segment, where we're, you never know when a ghost story might just creep right into a segment. Yeah. Well, I think that only happens when we do a podcast at night, you know? Yes. And I asked you for some dim light in here. You yeah. know I like that dim mm-hmm. light. It is. It does change the way the podcast feels when we record it at night. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to Huntsville tomorrow. I'm going down there tomorrow night. I'll be there. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, that'll be Wednesday, August 1st at Huntsville. It'll be Dusty Slay's Grand Old Comedy Show. Uh, I'm going to have um, from uh, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, Amanda Crawford. I'm going to have from Chattanooga, Tennessee, Luke Martyr. From Charleston, South Carolina, Keith Big Daddy D., uh, and then I'm going to have from Nashville, uh, country music singer and comedian Joe Denham. Joe Denham, friend of the podcast. Yes. Joe Denham, guest of the podcast. Guest of the podcast, guest of Dusty Slay's Grand Ole Comedy Show in Huntsville. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, I'm really pumped for it. It's not going to be exciting. It is exciting. It it's is currently it. exciting. Currently, it is exciting. And then. I'll do early show Friday and then an early show Friday late – or then and then two shows Saturday with John Lovitz. It'll be my third time working with John Lovitz. Uh, so that will be fun. I'm sure he'll be thrilled to see me. Yes, I will be. <laughs> that was my John Lovitz impression. I like it. I yeah, like it. it's not accurate, but yeah. I – you know. Yeah. But he'll, he'll, I'm sure he'll be thrilled to see me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second time I work with him, he said, oh, I remember you. And uh, and then we had a good time. And then when he didn't do well that first show that we worked together, but it was a weird show. He came off and he was like, "Was the audience weird for you too?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, they were." Did you lie? No, they were weird. Okay. Um, but I I just oh, whenever I work with someone like that, I just always in my head I'm like, "Well, this is their audience. They came to see John Lovitz. They didn't come to see, you know, Dusty Slay. We're having a good time." 
You know what I mean? You know, working with comedians and headliners, you really, you really sense the humanity in all of us because you realize that headliners and stars and movie stars and millionaires have terrible sets as well. <laughs> yes. And then uh, the Late Show Friday will be like a five for five comics deal. So it'll be some some other guys. I don't know who's on it. Honestly, I don't know, but it'll be great. Uh, and then uh, then I come home Sunday, and I'm going to do another showcase like that on Sunday at Zany's. Mm. Uh, I think what they're trying to do at Zany's on Sunday is do a show with just a ton of local people to really get get some people some good quality stage time. Great. And I think that I'm going to headline that. Oh, great. I'll probably just try out some new jokes. So if you're tired of hearing me talk about tornado warnings in the trailer park, then this is the show for you. <laughs> but if you're not, uh, I'll do it for you. And uh, let's see. Um, and then what about you? What do you got going? Well, um, so my week off is really just kind of me gearing up. I got a lot of comedy coming up. So this Thursday I'm doing a – TV taping at Zany's uh, with comedian Killer Bees. It's his production, and it's uh, called The Comedy Buzz. So that's pretty exciting. I'm going to be doing time on a show and, and, and for this taping, so we'll be doing that on Thursday. And then on Friday is uh, the beginning of my three-week tour with some gal pal comics. Oh, gross. I hate the way I just introduced that. That's great. <laughs> that sounds that's like great, though. You the know, first way to introduce a comedy. Now, when, when dudes. Some of my gal pals and I. No, nah, but when dudes are doing a trip. It's hard like, enough for women in comedy, but then to like intro it like gal pals. A, feel free. Be a woman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, okay. So, but, um, so we're, we're starting our tour. It's called the Triple Threat Comedy Tour. I'm going uh, on the road with some friends of mine who are really funny comics. Sophia Alexandra and Christine Little, and uh, this weekend kicks it off. So we're going to be at Third Coast all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, on different shows, but that's the club we're at in Nashville. Okay. Very and, exciting. Uh, and I would recommend you come to the Friday Luke show. Watson. Okay. Yeah, I'd recommend you come to the Friday show at Third Coast. It's 10 p.m. It's five bucks. Uh, Sophia's going to be headlining. I'm going to be hosting the show, regaling everybody with some great energy. And then we also have some really fun local comics that are going to be on the Ooh, show. Some of my you, favorites. Do you know anybody? We got some Mary J. Berger in there. Right. We got some Nick Bush. We got some Moira Vaughn. Okay. And who was that last one? Moira Mo. She works at Zany's too. Oh yeah, yeah, Mo. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah I really yeah. like Mo. She's yeah. super funny. And uh, and then we also have CJ. Uh, Sandra, who Great. I just added to the show. So it's going to be really fun. And then um, after Nashville, I'm just going to give a quick rundown of our tour. So it's a Southeast tour. We're going to be hitting some cities uh, in the Southeast. So after Nashville on uh, Tuesday on the 8th or on the 7th, on Tuesday the 7th, we're going to be in Birmingham at Brennan's. And then on the 8th, we're going to be in Memphis, Tennessee at uh, Gastro Pub, and then on the 9th through the 12th, we're going to be in Atlanta, and we're going to be at the Laughing Skull Comedy uh, Comedy Club, the 9th through the 12th, and then we're also going to be doing some shows in between in Atlanta, um, but all those uh, venues are going to be on my website, so check out hannahogancomedy.com. After Atlanta... We're going to be going to Athens, Georgia. We forgot to say get a pen. Yeah. 
Well, I'm just trying to let you know. I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown of the cities that we're in. We're going to be in Memphis. We're going to be in Birmingham. We're going to be in Atlanta. We're going to be in Athens, Georgia. We're going to be in Charleston all weekend, the 17th and the 18th. We're going to be in Charleston, South Carolina. And then our tour ends on August 19th in Asheville, North Carolina. All right. So we're hitting a few different cities. So if you are in those cities or you know some people in those cities, we have a really great show. You know, I was on America's Got Talent. Sophia was on This Is Not Happening on Comedy Central. With Ari Shafir, who is a very nice guy. I have a story of him now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we're we're comics that have been doing it for a long time. We've got acts. We've worked clubs. We've worked alt rooms. You know, and we really wanted to get out there and um, just kind of create our own little show and our own um, vibe on stage. So I'm really looking forward to it, and I think we're going to have a really good show. So if you know anyone, we we want you to come out. It's going to be fun, and we're, and we're looking forward to, to being in all shows. those cities. But specifically, if you're listening to this and you're in the Nashville area, come on out on Friday night on uh, August 3rd. It's at 10 p.m., it's going to be a fun show. It's a great show. Marathon Village, night. Third Coast Comedy Club. Yeah, yeah. So come on out and follow me, Hannah Ho- Miss Hannah Hogan, on Instagram and Twitter. And then my uh, website, hannahhogancomedy.com. All the dates are on there. Check it out. I, mean, I know that that was a mouthful of information, but yeah. you know, it's like you just kind of have to say it all at once. We got to say, get a pen. Get a pen. Or if you have a photogenic memory. Yeah. You, know, you ever had that? You're on the phone though and they're like, do you have a pen? It's like, nah, I haven't been holding a pen this whole time. <laughs> but when they give me the comfort, they're always like, uh, they're like, do you want to write this confirmation code down? And I never do, but I always say yes. And then I make them say that to me. And then I pretend like I'm writing it down. That way, because somewhere in my mind, I'm thinking that, there might be a situation one day where they call me and they go, excuse me, Mr. Slay, you, you never paid your bill. And I go, oh, no, I have the confirmation code right here. <laughs> right, because in the past, I've wrote this number down. Yeah. But I don't put the number anywhere. I don't put the number in anywhere that I remember it. I write it down and I have confirmation code and then I throw it down. I'm not going to retrieve this confirmation code. You're way more complicated than I realized. Well, know that you were playing all these mind games with well salesmen. Imagine what kind of person, though, if you like, if you came in here and I opened a book, and inside were conf- confirmation codes with detailed information. You know what I mean? Phone bill, August third, nineteen ninety five. Confirmation code. You know what I mean? I feel like my dad is that person. <laughs> That's intense, I think. My dad makes notes of every single jog that he does. Oh, well, that's that's a that's a workout journal. I mean, that's yeah. still intense, but that's like showing pride. That's how you keep up with how you're doing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's not that weird. That's I mean, that's yeah. Um, it's uh, it's still a lot to do. Yeah, but it's not that. Not that crazy. But that's where I'm going. That's where you're going. So we've, we've right. done that segment. That, see, that, that segment, it's so fun. I mean, that just segment is just that's Ta- just one of my faves. Now time to a new segment, Advice to New Comics. All right. I'll let you take this one. As I always like to state, uh, this is <laughs> only to new comics. I'm not trying to tell people how to do comedy. I'm just trying to give – I'm not trying to be like, let me tell you something. I'd actually like to give Chris D'Elia a few notes. Yeah. I'm not – it's not anything it's not. like it's not like let me tell you something. It's um 
I'm trying to just share some info. This is my info. Get about eight minutes of comedy that you're that's really good. Then get a good quality video and then use that video to submit to comedy festivals. And then don't worry about that it cost you to fly to the festival, that it cost you to stay in the hotel in the festival, and that you don't get paid to do it. Just do it and then do well for the experience. You'll meet people. It's very helpful. I just I, You don't have to do one every month, but do a couple a year. Try to pick a good one. But if you've never done any, pick some of these small ones. Do them. That way you have a resume of uh, comedy festivals that you've done, and you get a feeling for how it goes. Then when you do a bigger comedy festival, uh, you're ready. You already know about the experience. I'd like to follow up that advice with a question to you, okay? Um, which I think might be pertinent for some people listening because I know I've struggled with this at festivals. You don't drink alcohol. Right. Uh, mostly because you can't because you have a bad allergy. Right. And, I'd love to. Yes. Now, festivals, to me, because uh, I've done a few different ones, some of them are important in the sense that there's going to be industry there. There's real opportunities. It's you know a very prestigious festival, so you get in and you got to do your thing. Other festivals for people that are maybe more, you know, five years into comedy, you go and it's more of a networking thing. There's no one in the audience, but it's a real party, right? Like there's a lot of people drinking. Um, But I think it's hard to do. I find it challenging to do festivals because I don't drink usually. And how do you find navigating, you know, net quote unquote networking events or festival events when you're not a drinker and, and everyone well, around you is kind of drinking? And that's a real way that people connect. Well, this is always the way that you can do it. You know, you, you, you go to the bar, you get them to make you a mocktail, you know, some kind of cranberry uh, soda with a little straw and a lime, right? When you do that and you're walking around, it will put people at ease. Like because they see you drinking something, they don't think, is he drinking? But if you're holding a water bottle, they know you're not. And it's not that it that they judge you for not drinking. I just think that people view people not drinking differently. So I don't worry about this anymore, but that's a good thing uh, if you're not used to these situations. You know, I don't – I'm past that at this point because I've not drank for so long. I would just like everyone to know so that I can immediately follow up with some joking reason why I don't drink anymore. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite thing to do. I like to go, wish I could, then I'd wreck this whole party. You know what I mean? Something like that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and But uh, I, it is hard. It's just going to be hard. Yeah. It, but if you're not super social, it's just going to be difficult. So the best thing that I can say is prepare during the day for your set that night and make sure that set goes well. Because if you're being funny at the festival, it's easier to talk to people. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just say that because about three weeks ago, I got drunk all weekend in uh, Missouri in Springfield. I got drunk like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I mean, I was the life of the party. I mean, I was just, I felt like I'm the funnest girl ever. And... I thought, well, well, like, I don't want to drink all the time. I don't really enjoy drinking. You know what I mean? Even though I did it, I just didn't. I just kind of did it or whatever. But um, I'm sort of like, well, how do I capture that part of me without actually drinking? Because, I mean, I'm fun. Well, you, you can't. 
I mean, I have a, I have a real. This segment's really taking a turn. Well, I mean, I I just don't think that you can. I mean, I have, I, I was a much more fun person when I drank. I mean, I could also be a much uh, more uh, intolerable person when I drank. But you can't, you can't be the person that you are when you drink. When not drinking. I mean... I'm just like kind of stupider when I drink, but I'm fun and I'm stupid right, and I'm we, up for things. We all are. It breaks this barrier down that says, all right, now I don't care. That's why people drinking seem more fun because that's why you say you get loose because it breaks down those barriers. When you're sober, you're like, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. But when you're drunk, you're like, yeah, I'll dance. That's why people... You know what I mean? Oh, like, I yeah. never, I'll never dance. Yeah, I'll sing karaoke. Yeah, I'll dance. Yeah, I'll... I'll, I'll you know, I'll jump off this building. You know, I get real feisty with people, but they seem to like it. Yeah, it's fun, but it's hard to get that. I mean, there, there, there probably is some way to channel it. I don't know. Okay, but I'm just saying. So what I'm saying is practical things. You just can't. You can't be like, mm, if I think real hard, I can act like I act when I'm drunk. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because if we acted like we act when we're drunk while we're sober, we would hate ourselves. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think that's maybe also why a lot of comedians turn to drugs and alcohol. I mean, just for those inhibitions off state, on stage and, and, and off stage in the sense because you do wilder things and then you have wilder things to talk about. Totally. It's like now I feel like that I'm a, a boring person a lot of times, but I don't even mind it. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not trying to entertain everybody all the time in my life. I love that you don't drink. Yeah. Do you know how much security that gives a wife? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, I just, uh, yeah, I mean, I just. Uh, I would not marry you if you drank and worked the road. I'd be like, oh, great. You for sure cheat on me at least well, once a month. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that you can say that every comedian that drinks is cheating on his wife. I think I could probably. I don't. I don't think you can. But because I've hung out with a lot of comics that drink, a lot of people don't have the problem with drinking that I do. A lot of people can go out after the show, have a beer or two, and then go to their hotel and go to sleep. Me, I have two beers, and now and my body starts to react in a way that's like, I have to drink this until I pass out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I know. I never met that, Dusty. That's what happens to me. I'm like, how much can I drink until I black out or pass out? Let's race to find out. Yeah, I remember I asked you one time, are you the kind of drunk, were you the kind of drunk? Because, you know, you met people like, I remember I was friends with this girl in college and she would have like two drinks and then there was like this click in her eye that would change and she'd have this like weird look in her eye like it wasn't even her. And I've seen that in other people where they just this weird thing kind of takes them over. I remember I asked you about that and you said yes. Oh, yeah, my my buddy... Uh, that used to drink with me all the time, Mike. Uh, he would uh, he would always say. I mean, he was an alcoholic too, uh, but he said, "I can see it. I can look in your eyes, and I can go. Oh, I know. There it is. Maybe that's what it. Maybe you have a ghost inside of you, and it's an alcoholic, and, and it only gets released when you drink alcohol. Well, I've I've made that kind of joke before. It's Not that it's a creepy. ghost. It's but super that, creepy to think that that's like that's within you. Yeah. And I'm glad you don't drink, and I hope that you never will. Well, all right. Well, I don't want this to turn in to take this weird turn. Oh, but, well, it's just a late night podcast. Yeah, but I'm just saying. Um, I think that uh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to not drink. Uh, it's not. It's not hard to not drink, but it's 
You know, I was at this club one night, and I I still know this club owner. I like him. We don't have – it's great. Um, I saw him at the festival, uh, and I love seeing him. But he said to me one time when I first started going to his club, he goes, after my set, we were hanging out in the green room. He's like, you want to go to the bar and have a beer? And I was like, well, I don't drink, but I'll go hang with you. And then he just kind of started talking to someone else, right? Like, because I just felt like he was like, oh, if this guy doesn't drink, I don't want to go sit with him at the bar while he drinks a ginger ale. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it changes things. So it is it is hard in that sense, and you just have to learn to deal with it. You're like, you know. Yeah. And that's that's where I'm at with it. Like, I'm... I, I, when I drank, I used to be really a part of all the groups, you know, like we would be, you know, playing beer pong or whatever people do during the time that I drank. But now I'm not ever really in on that because by the time everybody starts to get drunk, I'm ready to go home. Yeah. At festivals, I force myself to stay out. I have a good time because I like talking to people, but I, I force myself like I like a cigar. If I can... If I can post up somewhere at a party and have a cigar, then it's great because as long as that cigar's burning, I'm feeling with the party. When the cigar goes out, I'm like, I'm ready to go. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is, you know, you got to when you're in those situations, you gotta you gotta try to hang. But you know, because on the flip side, getting too drunk can have a bad effect on the whole thing too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I a lot of times what I what the way I feel is I'm at a I'm at a festival and I'm thinking I could just go to sleep tonight. I don't need to go to the party. I go to the party anyway for a little bit and I let the people that are hosting the event see me at the party. That way it says to them, I'm here, I appreciate what they're doing, I'm and 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 I want to make sure that I'm taking advantage, but you don't have to stay all night. Go up, shake their hand. Thank you for having me at this party. Being grateful is never a bad idea. Gracious, grateful. Yeah, that's great. Great. I think that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another great segment. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we're and then we're going to get into Montreal. But I did want to say this today. I've been emailing with some people, and they're uh, they're like sending me things in time zones. And I was just thinking, nothing confuses me like a time zone, you know? Like, you know, they'll be like, uh, how about uh, 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time? And I'm like, okay, well, what <laughs> like, well, what time does that make it for me? Yeah. You know, give it to me in my time. Even when they'll send both, I'm like, just don't send me the time zone you're in. Yeah, you should one-up them and do military time. Like, sure, talk to you at 0800 hours. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, don't talk to me in the time that you're in. I hate that when people will, like, uh, I've had people, like, show me their phone or whatever, like, when I'm like, what time is it? And it's on military time. It's like, you know, it's like, well, now I got to I gotta take time. I mean, it's not that hard, but I got to be like, all right, we got to, what is it? Do you take the 12 and then you, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I don't. So, well, growing up, I lived right on the time zone. We were in central time zone in Opelika, and my grandmother lived in the valley, and they were on – still in Alabama, and they were on – I don't think it's called – I think it's just called valley, uh, not the valley. Uh, they were in – but we called it the valley. 
uh, can you please sort that out for me before we move on? That's a pretty important detail. I'd like to. It's understand. like that George Garland joke that he has that he just he just keeps saying that the people just keep adding details in. That it's like it doesn't matter. Just tell the just tell the story. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. That's I'm, I'm sure at. people are sitting on the edge of their seat, being like, "What was it? Let me Google it. Let me email him. Let, okay, confirmation. It's the Valley. It's Valley, but we called it the Valley." Yeah. We're going to go down to the valley. You know you're from the valley when you just say valley. Anybody <laughs> that says the valley, we know you're a damn tourist. All right. So um, let's just move on. This segment bombed. <laughs> this segment took a real nosedive. It's not bombing. This is going great. This segment. So I my grandmother lived in. my damn time zones in here. My grandmother lived in eastern time zone. So we would call Central slow time, and we would call that fast time. We'd be like, they're on fast time, as if the time went faster. Like it was it was an hour ahead because it was going so fast. <laughs> That's yeah. so fucking Southern. <laughs> they on fast time over there. They only about 20 minutes down the road, but they on fat, that fast time. And then, so it's like, what were the other two time zones below us? How slow were they? You probably yeah. didn't even know that they existed. <laughs> I, I think that's true. I don't think we knew anybody that lived there. Yeah. Yeah, you were like John Cabot. Like You were like, Denver? <laughs> What's Denver? <laughs> I totally was like that about places. I thought everywhere outside of uh, – everywhere above the Mason-Dixon line or any city, people were just being killed and murdered all the time. I know. And you've never left the South. You're still here. Well, no, I so leave. So just think the, of the wild world you would no, discover. I leave the South all the time. Yeah, but you've never lived anywhere else. Yeah, but why do you need to live other places? I spend time there. Exactly. Why do you? You don't. You don't? No. I mean, I thought Denver was great. I like New York. I liked Montreal. Which is where I went this weekend to the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. All right, let's talk about it. Yeah, it was great. I was on a plane on the way there, and uh, I was on the way. I had already hooked up to my connecting flight, and I was on my way to Montreal from Toronto. And this guy cleared his throat, like kind of gross-like. And then I hear this like French accent go, uh, excuse me. What did he go? Excuse me. And then he says something. I don't know. He's like, uh... And then the guy, he was like, can you not, uh, and then the guy was like, I'm clearing my throat. And he's like, yeah, it's like a little bit uh, disgusting, kind of. <laughs> he's like, it's kind of like a little bit disgusting. I think he goes, it's kind of uh, disgusting a little bit. Exactly. It's kind of disgusting a little bit. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like disgusting a little bit. <laughs> the French are offended by everything. And I thought, wow, what an awkward interaction. But I also loved it because yeah. I was like, it was gross the way that guy was clearing his throat. I was like, I'm glad this guy shut that down right away. He's like, don't be clearing your throat like that this whole plane plane ride. Yeah. We got, we're trying to ride in here. You're clearing out all this. You know what? I always hate when people cough when I'm on stage. I know that people can't help that they're coughing. I don't, I don't, I don't. Eye them out and go after this show. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell them how much I hate their coughing, but it's distracting. Yeah, if you got bronchitis, don't go to a comedy show. <laughs> right. 
Like flu season this past yeah. year? Oh, that was the worst. There was a couple months in there where it was just like, stay in. Yeah. It's because it's not at that point, it's not even that they're coughing. It's like, oh, well, we're all going to be sick now. It's coughing that bothers me. It's the noise. Mm. But so I get to Montreal. and yeah, uh, you get to Montreal. It's very French. It's, it's very, very French. And, uh, you know, I stayed at the Travel Lodge there, and uh, which was uh, actually really nice. And I got there. Or the Lodge du Travel. Yes. Yes. No, nah, that's not. Oh, okay. It's just a brand. It's the same everywhere. Okay. And so I, I checked in. And the guy was like, bonjour, you know, and I was like, I was like, hey, how are you? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I know the words bonjour, right? But to me, it sounds so bad, like it sounds so fake coming for me that I feel insulting. I feel like my friend who's taken Spanish one and now is trying to order at the Mexican restaurant in Spanish. You know? Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Even though I have like more basic French than you do, I would feel like an idiot trying to talk to a French person. <laughs> right. Because they can tell – even if you say the word, you're saying it wrong. It's the right. wrong pronunciation always. But then I feel like I'm insulting them because I don't – because I'm like, hey, you know what I mean? I'm waving in everybody's face. Yeah. Uh, but – it was a good time. So I tried to make that joke with the guy at the front desk right away, and he never laughed one time. No. So, but to be fair, I bomb at cash registers all over the country. You really do. Yeah. You really do. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. It's heartbreaking how friendly you are all the time to people, and no one's having it. No, no. For as much as you love the South, they day-to-day cashiers and service people in the South not looking for your charm. People in the, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, the people that I grew up around, I never was, like, fully, like, the redneck kid. You know what I mean? I was the friendly guy. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, but, but the, um, yeah, I mean, I bomb at these registers all the time. But I think it's, but I think it's good to be friendly. But I try to also not make the corny jokes. I've worked in retail enough to where retail and food service to where I'm like, I don't want to make the corny jokes. I don't want to be making dad jokes up here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. The fact that you're even attempting jokes, though, is pretty dad jokey. Well, true. But, you know, but I feel like if I'm cool about it, then it could actually brighten their day. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, okay. All right, so you're. you're- Listen, when I waited tables, if, if a, somebody had a good joke, I was into it. Yeah. But most of the time they didn't. But I'm a professional comedian. Uh huh. I can do this. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a, a you know a a uh, you know pesticide salesman anymore. I'm a. No, and I appreciate your joie de Professional comedian. I appreciate it. Very famous. Yeah. So you get in there, and there's people speaking French to you all the time. So there's always that awkward moment where you have to come out. As an English person. Right. So I get, yeah, so I get there and I just kind of, I went out and we were right next to Chinatown. So immediately I go walking around and it's just like, uh, you know, it's very Chinese and I liked it. And then I, I I spotted out all these restaurants that I wanted to eat at. Never ate at one single Chinese restaurant. I'm still bummed that I didn't. I wanted to go have some dumplings. Uh, it looked great, but I never went. But I went and I sat on this – just this curb. Like I was like, I don't want to go sit in the hotel. I don't know who to uh, message to try to hang out. I'm just going to hang right here and watch people. And then I saw these two uh, just for laughs people almost get hit by a car. Like straight up, they walked 
and like we're real close to getting just smashed by a car going real fast. And and that's when I first noticed that in Montreal, they don't really jaywalk, right? Because these two American people on the thing, they walked when they weren't supposed to walk and that car kind of blinded them and they almost got hit by another one. And you could see the people on the sidewalks with their hands out like, what are you doing? Why are you going when it's not a and, – and I saw another guy honk at a guy crossing the crosswalk. The guy walking across the crosswalk came back to the car, and he pointed his hand towards the ground like, shh, shh. <laughs> and uh, it was great. He was very – he didn't cuss at the guy. Um, and uh, But as I was sitting there, uh, our friend Kenny DeForest, a uh, comic from New York who was also doing New Faces, uh, came up, and then we went into this food court. Where a guy with uh, JFM, yes, and, I'm hungry. Yeah, this guy, you know, tall guy had cornrows. Uh, worked at worked at like a food court mall, right? But this guy uh, cared about his job. He was so nice to us. He he, you would you could see him scooping the food out of the thing. Like and really caring about the way he was doing it, and me and Kenny were both really taken back by it. We were like, just the customer service that we were getting in basically a mall food court. <laughs> it was like this is amazing, you know? Yeah. And uh, and it was great. We ate that food, and then we went for our orientation. So we saw the theater that we would be performing in, which was an eight hundred seat theater called the Monument National, an upper deck, very very fancy. Monument National. Yes. Yes. Very, very fancy. And then we went to a party. And, uh, you know, I'm at Une this. soiree. Yeah. I'm at this party at the Hyatt. And uh, there's all these famous comedians around. I saw uh, uh, um, Russell Peters, uh, who was at one time like the biggest comedian in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Goldman, who I had just worked with not too long ago. Gary Goldman comes wandering in, and I'm like, I know this guy. And we shake hands. We give a little hug. It's great. You gave a hug to Gary? Yeah. Gary gave me a hug. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's really fun, Dusty. It is fun. And then, you know, and then I saw a few other people that that I know from from around cities. And, uh, and then I went to bed pretty early, though, that night. The next day, uh, I just hung out all day. I had no shows. And I went to old uh, – me and Kenny, again, went to uh, – I hung out with Rocky Dell Davis a bit. Uh, me and Kenny went to old Montreal. We walked around the old city, historic. Cobblestones. Cobblestones, obelisk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we went into this restaurant, and this bartender came over, and she was French, and she asked us what we wanted in English. And I was like, well, we saw a sign out there for cod, fish and chips, and that's what brought us in here, right? And she gets <laughs> And she's like, uh, she's like, I speak English, but uh, and she was like, kind of motioning, like, I have no idea what you're saying. That's like, so American like, of you. I, I bet like, you said it real loud. Like, well, we just got in here. <laughs> Everyone in the restaurant's like, okay, we got some Americans in here. <laughs> got your whole life story. I just exp- why don't you go away and give me some of them fries? Got gravy <laughs> on them. You got some cheese in there? Cheese curds. What's that? Oh, all right. Well, you got some beer. Light beer? No, hell no. <laughs> so, but we got the fish and chips. Uh, we ate them. It was great. And then uh, and then he had a show to do. So I went and watched his show, and Rocky was also on his show. They did great. It was a great show. Watched two New Faces showcases back-to-back. 
and uh, had a great time. Then you went to the party that night. You yeah. also said that there was a lot of like a lot of diversity in Montreal that you really enjoyed. A lot of very attractive people. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't notice, I guess, until you're in a city like that, just how you know. Uh, I'm not saying that diversity is good or bad or anything like that, but you notice that you're not around that diverse of, of people. You know what I mean? Like typically in the South, you got a lot of white people, you got a lot of black people, and that's mainly what we have in the South, you know? But you're in Montreal, and there's people of all races and all languages, and it's pretty cool. You know what I mean? It's cool to be surrounded by just so much so many different cultures. Yeah, Montreal, just even in Canada, is known for its pretty women. Yeah. Or Quebec, but Montreal. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I was out on nightclub night, and uh, it was popping out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I didn't go to any nightclubs. That's never been my scene, and especially is not my scene now. Mm -hmm. uh, at least back then, I was drinking, and I could, I could at least talk to some people. But all right, so, all right, we're getting up on an hour here. So, um... Uh, so then uh, the next day was my show. Uh, that party was great. There was more people. I mean, Krista Stefano, my friend I saw, Carly Aquilino, I've worked with her. I saw my, my buddies uh, from the club in Cleveland, Hilarities, uh, uh, and it was so fun to see them. Uh, Maria Bamford uh, – all right, let's say this. Ari Shafir sent us all of the people on my uh, uh, New Faces uh, group. We had 11 of us. He sent us all an email inviting us out to take us out to dinner. So everyone said yes, of course. And he took us to this pretty fancy restaurant in old Montreal, said, order whatever you want. I just want to get, I just want to be nice to you. I just want to feed you. He's like, I know a lot of you probably don't have money. And I think a lot, a couple of those guys were pretty broke. I mean, they're living in New York, super high rent, you know? So, uh, I mean, even for me, I'm like, this is fantastic. Uh, I can imagine at, at a different time in my life when I, didn't have any money. You know what I mean? So he let us order whatever we want. Maria Bamford was going to come. And then she ended up not being able to come, but she stopped by the hotel just to tell us all that she's sorry that she can't come. And then gives us all her email and says, if you're in LA, hit me up. And it's just like, that's so nice. I don't know that I'll ever be able to use the Maria Bamford email. Maybe I will. But the fact that she gave it to me, very nice. So, Later that night, we're at the show. We're at the Monument National. We're ready to go do our thing. Maria Bamford comes into the green room with 11 envelopes with each of our names written on it. We open the envelope. It's $50. Maria Bamford gave everyone $50. How nice. Very nice. Very nice. I only hear she's just a wonderful lady. So nice. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But we did our show. And I went sixth out of 11. I feel like I got the sweet spot. I mean, and I had a great set. I rocked it. I was doing the wave joke out there. I mean, I got a couple of, I don't, I don't know if it was full out 800 seat theater applause break, but I got some pretty good applause breaks for waving at the crowd. Mm -hmm. You know, that feels good. Yeah. You know what I mean? That feels good. I was so nervous for you. My jokes, I was so nervous for myself, but I'm not, I'm not bragging on on myself or anything but i'm just saying i did my jokes and people laughed at the jokes yeah. and it felt good it feels good anytime you go this is my setup now the punch and when you hit the punch people laugh and when 800 people in a theater laugh back at you like that it feels pretty good yeah 
It's not my first time in a theater that big, but it's not even your first time in Canada. No, but it is my first. I mean, to to be at a, at a, at a festival of that level of that prestige in a theater like that in a country like that, and then to do well is like, I mean. I didn't know what to do when I got off the stage. I had so much like I had a lot of nervousness going in that when I came off stage, I had this just burst of energy. And what about this word? Euphoria. Euphoria. Absolutely. I mean, and that is another thing that a guy told me a long time ago about drinking. He played music. He said, I don't even like to have a beer before I go on stage. He said, because that nervousness that you feel going into it. When you're done, it is uh, a sense of euphoria, as you say. And he said drinking only kills that. Mm-hmm. He's like drinking can calm your nerves at the beginning, but it numbs your nerves for the powerful feeling that you get later. And I think he's so right. Uh, you, there's a real thrill after you do comedy, and I think that's what keeps people doing is It's like when you come off that, I mean, you can be buzzing – for hours, if not days, off a show that you really like. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like you're still buzzing from Montreal right now? Yeah, a little bit. But I think that there was such other stuff that surrounded uh, Montreal that it just it just wears you out. I mean, yeah. to the point. A lot point, of socializing can be draining. So much socializing. Like in a good way, but it does drain you. And then to be honest, I had such a fun time on the John Chris shows that I came back on Sunday and did his shows. And I was like two shows at Zany's. Two, anytime you can get a sold out show at Zany's and it's like, I don't know. But I just <laughs> want to go back to that show. I know we're maybe run late, but maybe it's just we're running late. I mean, these segments are hot today. Um, yeah. So I remember when you told me after you had a, you were really glad with how your show went at your new faces showcase. Uh, the tone of the festival really changed for you. And uh, because, you know, you did well. You felt good, so you could kind of relax at the party. You'd already been there for a couple of days. You knew some people, so you could just kind of hang out and be and have more of a good time. You know? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's always been like because I've always, uh, I mean, for a long time, I've been pretty good at comedy, but for a long time, no one has known me, and I don't. You know what I mean? So it's like I would go to these open mics or go to these shows in rooms full of people that didn't know me. And I just got used to not talking to people until after I had done comedy. Cause I was always pretty confident. I'm like, all right, I can go up on this show. I can do well enough to make people in this room want to talk to me. Yeah, I may not destroy, but I'll do well enough to make friends in here. Mm-hmm. So I've always just waited. I'm nice to everyone, but I don't try to engage in conversation until after I've kind of, I don't know. To me, maybe it's almost like an initiation into the room. It's like, until you see me do comedy, why would you talk to me? I don't feel that way about people. I love to talk to people. But in my mind, that's how they view me. Is It's like, we're all in here to do comedy. Until you show us you can do it, why would we talk to you? Right. Kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So <clears throat> that's how I felt at the party. I was like, I'll talk to all the people I know and anybody else who – we just – it happens naturally. But I'm not going to be trying to engage people in conversation. And then after I've done my comedy, then I'm free. I'm like, hey, look at me. I'm one of you. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I i mean in my head, part of nervous thinking for me was I was like, if I bomb on this show, do I go to the party? 
right? And uh, I don't know who knows what I would have chosen, but uh, because bombing can make you feel bad. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't bomb. I don't bomb well. I definitely. If I had a bombed, if I was at New Faces and I bombed, I mean, I, I would have gone to my hotel and not come out until I like had to do something. Right. I mean, that's that was my <laughs> thought. If I bombed, can I move my plane ticket up? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> can yeah. we just get out of here? Yeah. I'd also heard stories about people that had bombed at New Faces, which I didn't share with you. I don't know. Maybe I did share with you, but. But it, but where it was like you know people that bombed and then or didn't do well and then there was like some people who were being talked to a lot by you know managers and TV people and stuff like that and then you know the person that bombed didn't get talked to a lot and I just think that that's really hard and I'm very fragile and if that happened to me I would be like oh my god I want to f- kill myself yeah 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 I mean totally <laughs> I mean I didn't be just so it'd be such a tough pill to swallow oh the yeah the high of being there and then the low of well, yeah. not doing well is, and is I, hard. I also feel like I've always had uh, a type of blue collar mentality uh, in a sense to where it's like that when I see someone that that's happening to, like if, I, if I'm a part of something and I've done well and they haven't done well, I, I want – that's the person I want to talk to because I'm like I feel bad for them. Like I'm like I, – I, I may miss opportunities to advance myself sometimes because I would rather talk to the person that's the saddest in the room in hopes that I could make them feel better. You also have a lot of practice with me. Yeah. Well, I just <laughs> – Consoling someone after a bad show. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean I'm not trying to make myself seem like some, some super – but I, I mean helping someone else pull up and feel good about themselves – uh, is a bit more appealing sometimes than just trying to get new things for yourself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. because I know what it's like to feel like that. And I'm like, if I, if I'm feeling good and I feel like someone else is feeling bad, I want to help them feel like I feel. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think some people are way better at, uh, Going towards the winners and just associating with winners or, you know, people that are successful at a certain time. Like, yeah. I feel like I've always more so been attracted to underdogs and I would hang out with people that weren't necessarily advantageous to my right. career, but I would just feel more comfortable with them. But I think that, you know, you want to find a healthy medium. You got to be able to be totally. associating with both groups, if not more of the uh, the former well, that was the great thing about this is I, wa- I was able to uh, – I think that scheduling things just in life in general, like if you can – you know, it was opportunities to schedule meetings and be able to talk to people that you know, you, you, you schedule – you're like, I got things to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't sit around and find every person in the room that looks unhappy and – You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You're no. so sweet. <laughs> but I'm just You're saying. So sweet. I just – I don't know. I just feel like you never. Well, it's 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 compassion. I mean, compassion's different than sympathy. Com- compassion means that you feel their emotions and you know what it would be like if you were in their position. You know, so you know you would want a friend. You'd want someone to be there with you. You know, if you were in that position. Right. And I feel like this is what social media is doing to us. When you see someone complain on social media, you think, "Oh gosh, more of this." Right. But when you are face-to-face with the person and you almost can see how they feel, then we're like, oh, let me, you know, let me try to help you. 
Well, you know, and probably the people that are hurting the most aren't saying anything on social media. That's probably true. I mean, honestly, probably people that didn't love what they did in Montreal probably made a post like, I had a great time in Montreal. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just make the world think that (laughs) they're crushing it. I never do that. (laughs) 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 All right. But – but yeah, I saw some. I just want to, you know, I saw Orny Adams up there, who you had just worked with. It's just fun that to 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 travel as many years as I've been traveling, working with different headliners, and then be at this place, and all of those guys are there. Mm-hmm. You know, like in uh, in the Yoders, Jameson Yoder was there. There's a lot of funny business stuff. My old friend Laura Prangley was there. Me and Laura did uh, a show with Apples and Lauren Crass at this place in Charleston called The Brick. It was. It was supposed to be called – it was like Charleston's oldest tavern, right? It was this really old bar on East Bay Street. I had been there a bunch of times. We did a show. Laura was down from New York. She told me the story that the night that it's her now husband. He was her boyfriend then. They were going down to Charleston to do something, and I guess it was her birthday, and he put together this show for her. He looked up local comics in the city booked us on the show and then booked her to headline and did this for her on her birthday. And it was a great time. Apple's hosted. Uh, then Lauren went, then I went, I had a great set. It was really fun. Her, her boyfriend, now husband actually had great things to say about me. And then Laura went, it was a great set. And then we left and the building burned down. Oh, and, uh, geez. And, uh, more ghosts. Yeah. But when I went to New York the first time, when I met you, uh, Laura uh, hooked me up with some shows that led to some other shows, and it really helped me kind of navigate New York for that month that mm. I was there. So that was a fateful month for both of us. Yeah, and she was at the party, mm-hmm. and uh, it's fun to see her. Is so, she stand up then? She was. I think she said that she was doing some sort of like uh, I don't know agency, okay, kind of thing. You know, okay. some some different side of the business. Well, wow, what? What an exciting, well, what an see. exciting week well, let's for you, see. And then, and then, you know, Rocky Dell Davis did really well, and it, and it's fun to have some Southern guys up there. I'm not going to trash this other guy, but there was a guy there, very popular in the South, that that had a, a rough night, and I don't know what happened. I mean, he didn't invite. We're all from Alabama, and he didn't invite me out to dinner when he was at JFL, and uh, but uh, things went bad. I mean, things went bad for him. A lot of people said that he got booed off stage. I don't think he got booed off stage. I mean, his set wasn't going well, and a couple people went boo, but I don't think he got booed off. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but uh, uh, I feel like his reputation precedes him. Well, that's what I mean. That's so what I mean by, by whatever saying. Whatever happened is a result of his character. No, but that's what I'm trying to say. Without trying to trash him, I'm saying, you know, he was up there. He's from Alabama. Me and Rocky are from Alabama. He didn't invite us out to dinner. Uh, so. Yeah, and that's why he has no allies exactly. in his corner. Totally. So I don't know exactly what happened because I wasn't there, but I saw some videos and things like that. And it got pretty intense, and uh, uh, he wasn't at the after party. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I think the thing – I think the real message that's lost in this is that if you get famous at YouTube, that doesn't make you a comedian. You know what I mean? Like you can still be successful at whatever you're doing. You can still do shows for your fans. But just because you're famous, it doesn't make you a comedian. It goes back to even what you were saying earlier about famous people, movie stars and stuff like that that decide to do comedy. 
just because you're famous, you can sell tickets and clubs love that. I mean, I love that people are doing it because I think that YouTube stars and movie stars and former wrestlers uh, doing comedy are helping keep these comedy clubs going in a lot of a lot of places that we love. So I'm glad they're doing it. But being famous doesn't make you a comic. What we do, us comics, is we grind out here all the time. We drop miles and miles in our car. We do terrible gigs. We do gigs with no people in there. We do open mics. We do retirement homes. I did a gig at a home here in Nashville. The guy was so old. I, I tried to make a couple of jokes to him, and he, he just wasn't responding to me. And then his phone rang. It was so loud that I'm like, oh, this guy can't hear. I That's bet he, I bet he started coughing. Too. Yeah. And 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 we do these things. We do, you know, we do comedy zones. We do the Midwest, we do the Upper Peninsula. We drive to New Mexico and Phoenix and we do bars for 600. We do clubs for 600 people. We do bars for 10 people. Sometimes we show up to shows that we're headlining and the only people are in the room are the other comics on the show. And we do those things and that's what makes us comics. You don't make a funny video and get millions of followers and now you, you're, you're what we are. You are an entertainer and more famous than a lot of us, but you're not what we are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the real message that's lost in this is YouTube stars aren't comics. That being said, if you're a comic and you become YouTube famous, fantastic. I'm very happy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I just feel like who you are will always come out, you know? Totally. totally. I think his this this gentleman, Darren Knight's issue, is, right. is a reflection of who he is well, as a person. Well, this is what I think and he I'm, did. You know, it's come out on a big stage, and that's what happens when you treat people poorly. Right. This is what I think he did. He went up at the end, he bombed, and then he told – other people on the show and the audience that they shouldn't talk about sex or race or any of those things and that that's not what people came to hear. They just came to laugh. But meanwhile, he bombed and all the other people on the show got laughs from what I understand. As I said, I wasn't there. So it's like you can't go up and bomb and then tell people what's funny. You know what I mean? Well, I mean I think that's more indicative of the fact that he's not – a, a professional stand-up comedian right. or he's not a tried and true comedian because clearly if he was, he'd be able to read the room right. and know that that sort of display is not going to go over well in uh, just for laughs. I just can't. I know he's got to have a lot of money because he's done really well with clubs. I just don't understand if how you're, you're doing a festival of this size how you don't just hire somebody to write you eight minutes of jokes and just go do those jokes. You know what I mean? I just don't. arrogant. Yeah. And I just don't get it. It's like no matter who you are or what you believe about anyone, if you're doing comedy and you say you're a comedian, be good at it. Well, just imagine. I mean, I, I, mean, I would change. If all of a sudden uh, I did some YouTube videos and then just millions of people started following me and then I was going to clubs selling out, everyone telling me how hilarious I was all the time, I'd probably roll into Just for Laughs be like, about time. Like I would think I was super funny too. I mean, you're riding this high of point. being popular and beloved and you're only around audiences that are digging what you're doing. I mean – it would be hard to not have an ego. Great point. They, and he doesn't this, seem like the kind of guy that strikes me as uh, meditative or self-reflective. This could very well be.
be the first time that he's been in an audience that wasn't his fans. Yeah, well, absolutely. He because sold out the Ryman, I think. The only reason he started doing stand-up was because he already had an audience. He sold out the Ryman. Yeah. And so he go. that's just, it blows my mind to think about. It. He sold out the Ryman with people that are his fans that have watched him on YouTube yeah. and have come to see him. And I'd like to just say, because I know I'm kind of throwing shade on him. I've never even met this dude. I don't even really know what he looks like in person, but... Uh, you know, we work in the same circles. We both live in the South. I've heard lots of stuff about he him. He does and have I've, a reputation And in the I've clubs. never heard anything but people, clubs, other comedians, uh, just just say the worst things about right. him and the way that, that he treats people. So it's sort of like, I mean, I can just carry that on because, because I mean, when you start, I mean, and tr- honestly. He doesn't speak for the South as, someone that, as well. As someone that, you know, works with a 100%. lot of comedians, a lot of, you know, comedians at different levels. Honestly, most comedians, I would say 95% of the people I've worked with, good pe- like good people to work with, professional, treat the, clubs well, treat servers well, treat the comics on the show the well, comedy, treat their fans well. And so when you hear a story of a comedian that doesn't treat someone well, you remember it because you don't hear them a lot. And everybody talks about it. It gets around. Yeah. I, there's a booker that I know of that that's he's booked – he's done this to me, book people on gigs and then cancels on them. Uh, and then le- they've held the weekend open, and now they just don't make the money. Uh, and lots of people have messaged me about this guy. Like it gets around. Yeah, they're like, "Hey, don't do gigs with this guy. He'll, he'll, he'll." And so it like gets around quick. Yeah. And uh, so the same for comics. I mean, there's a very short list of comics I have that weren't very nice to me that I've worked with, but me I've too. but I've worked with so many. Yeah, yeah. Mo- for the most part, comics. I mean, you know, you, it's not like you know them very well as people, but I, I mean, you you have to be professional. You have to have you have to have a sense of of uh, professionalism in any job that you have, yeah. and so everybody knows that if you're if you've been in it long enough to even be working at a club, you know. So you know when you hear some, and I mean that's probably why he doesn't because he just sort of showed up to the club with an audience, and he, you know, it's right. Well, that, it's unfortunate. He didn't. He didn't go through the grind. And right. That's what I mean. All those things that I'm talking about. All that, like when when you do comedy the way that I've done comedy, where I show up to clubs that I've never worked before. I'm not the headliner, and the club doesn't know me. They're you just you have no choice but to go in and just be a nice person. So, but I don't understand why you would do it any other way, anyways. But. You go in, you're respectful. You you know your place on the show. You're very replaceable. And you work until you're not replaceable. I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. And uh but this could very well be. This is a revelation to me right now that I just want to just want to try to air out here. This could be he sold out the Ryman. I don't know how many the Ryman seats. More than 800. So he goes to this 800 seat theater. For the first time in his life, a room of people, not his fans. Yeah. Imagine that you – and he did – all right. He did – they said he did diarrhea jokes. The first part – he started with a toast and he said, to our wives and our girlfriends, may they never meet each other, you know, Uh and no one laughed. And then he did diarrhea jokes where he actually made the sounds. And it got no laughs. 
And so that's when he said the thing about race and sex and stuff like that. And then a couple of people went, boo. <laughs> and then he said, y'all have a good <laughs> the night. The funniest thing is like I could see that joke crushing in – Right, for his audience down here. Yeah. I could just see how I'm like, oh, Lordly. In Columbus, Georgia, there's a bar and there's a lady who always hosts. She's always the host. Have you ever did that? The loft? No. She's always the host and she starts the night with a toast and she'll always go, you want a dirty one or you want a clean one? And everybody always says dirty. But one night I was on the show and a lot of my family had showed up to watch. And she said, you want a dirty one or a clean one? And they said, clean. And she was like, she was so taken back. She had no idea what to say. She was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I got a clean one. I mean, she came up with something. But, but that means that, she, I mean, she did that. Like I, I, I went like, I've been there <laughs> twice, maybe three That's times. That's actually probably funnier to me than whatever her line was. Like, oh. Oh God! Like an existential crisis of right. a hack joke. Well, she she's probably. I mean, I went there probably I think two times in two years, and she did that joke both times. So it's like to me, she does that joke every night, and uh, <laughs> and no one's ever said clean. Yeah, that's hilarious. But uh, and then I flew back uh, from from I did a couple more shows there, and they went well, and uh, and I hung out with some people. I mean, all the people. Uh, you could find them on my Facebook, my page, uh, my my whatever you call it. The background picture is all the all the people that I worked with. I mean, they're all very funny. Um, I should have listed them off, uh, but they're all very funny. I like them. I'll give them a shout out next time. Yeah, and I just want to underline for people that aren't super familiar with Just for Last. It's such an honor. It's such a big deal to be invited to Just for Laughs. You know, it's like. It's sort of like you've been accepted by your peers and by, you know, the highest of the high uh, comedy people in this, in, in the, in this, in North America. And, and, and I'm just, I'm so, I'm so glad, like you deserve it. You, you, you're so ready. And I just think it's so neat that you've been out here on the road living in Nashville, you know, not following the traditional path of going to New York or Los Angeles, you know, and living life on your own terms. And still, um, we're invited to be a part of the cream of the crop. And I just think that it's a testament to, you know, do things the way you want to do them, you know, get out of your comfort zone. I'm not saying play it safe, but You know, ask yourself what it is you want to do. And as long as you, you know, try to trust in that, you know, you never know what's going to happen for you. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what I said when I started doing comedy, when I, when I actually decided that comedy is what I wanted to do, that uh, people would say, you know, you know, good for you chasing your dream. But it's like, yeah, it's like I am chasing my dream, but I'm like, also like, this is what I've chose to do. You know what I mean? I'm going to do this now. So I'm doing it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's not – to me, it doesn't feel like so much of a dream as it feels like an attainable goal that I'm aiming for. Mm -hmm. But I love the process. Sometimes things move slow for me and I'm like, oh, I wish this was happening faster. I wish this was happening faster. But the process to me of taking the steps this way and not getting fame fast is that you learn – things all along the way and you're able to appreciate each step. 
Well, and also Montreal was never a goal for you. I feel like I told you about Just for Laughs like a couple of years ago. Like I mean, you may have heard of it, but I don't think you really – you never had your sights set on it. You you knew – you eventually learned, you know, what it was. Right. But you – you know, I just think there's some people that want the ends and they're not really concerned with the means. Whereas yeah. you just genuinely enjoy being a stand-up and all this other stuff is gravy. Well, that's what that's what I'm saying. It's like that's why my my advice is to do the uh, comedy festivals because ultimately doing comedy festivals led me to you know where I'm at right now because it put me in a position for people to see me. But the um, like you know Lucy told me about the Bridgetown Comedy Festival and I didn't even uh, I didn't know what that was. You know, she was like, "You should submit to this." So I was like, "Okay." And then I did and I got in and that's how a lot of these things have happened. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's, – it's, it is – you're right though. But it's about caring about comedy, wanting to do comedy. For some reason, there's this weird thing about how you're like, you're like too cool for comedy but you're doing comedy. It's like doing comedy is already the rebellion. You've already rebelled against working a regular job when you've decided to do comedy. So it's already the rebellion don't rebel against the thing that you've decided to do. You're like, I'm going to be a comedian. So do it well. I don't think you're cool if you're not taking it seriously and not being funny. You know what I mean? If you're not being funny and you're taking it seriously, then I at least am on, I, I at least have respect for you. You know what I mean? Because there's people I know out there that are working hard and are not doing very well, but I dig it. Because they're working at it, you know? Yeah, you know, there's just something about respecting someone that works hard. Totally. But there's also people that you see and you're like, I know that you could be good if you would just start trying. I mean, sometimes I'll see comics and I'm just like, they got it. They got everything. They're like so naturally funny, effortless joke writer, affable on stage, but just can't get their stuff together to, to make anything actually happen. Right. And, you know, you just – you can't just ride talent. Talent – talent. I mean you, you need like at least mediocre talent and a lot of hard work. And that can get you really, really far. When I started comedy in Charleston, we – I mean now maybe a little bit of this was me being so new at comedy that I thought everything was amazing. But we had this great group of guys doing comedy, guys and girls doing comedy that started doing improv. And then we kind of – we. We created an open mic, and then a lot of those improvisers came over and started doing stand-up. And we had this really cool, fun, creative, funny stand-up scene. And so many of those people just – they just you know went on about their lives. They, they were just hobbyists at improvising, and they just went on about their day jobs and their, their lives. And I just thought – Man, that was some. That was a really funny group of people that could have turned into. Well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of TV shows about stand up now. It's like the Crashing Show and uh, what's that show about the Comedy Store that's out now? It's like uh, when the laughter stops or something. There's a lot of shows about like the glamour of stand up, and there's a lot of idolization of of famous stand up people. But the real life of a stand up is very unglamorous. For the most yeah. part, especially the climb up. I mean, you know, and, and, yeah. and even though crashing, I guess, is show, is trying to show like the hardness to it. It's still it's still sort of rem- romanticizes the journey. The, the but main- when you're in it and 
uh, you know, it's not as hard. It's, it's yeah. kind of nonstop rejection. The main thing about Pete Holmes in that it, that bothers me is the speed with which things happen. Like, I don't think that – I stopped watching it. It's too unrealistic for me. Yeah, he was like, oh, all these famous people want me to open for them. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Right, doing like, it six months and you already have a headliner taking you on the road? <laughs> what's hilarious is the first uh, episode, he does comedy at the Grizzly Pair, and it, which is a – I know the Grizzly and Pair. Try, and they're trying to – show how there's no one there watching. But in the show, there was more people that I ever saw. Yeah. The Grizzly Pair, when I, I did it several times, I liked the host a lot. He was a really nice guy, but it was always just comics. And it was always the craziest comics. <laughs> yeah. Like guys that are like, are they homeless? Are they just coming in here to just kind of get out of the weather? <laughs> like It yeah. was like... Yes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't think I ever bombed it, though. I mean, I bombed at a couple open mics, but I find it, that New York, the, the way to get laughs is to make fun of this, what we're doing right now mm-hmm. in the room. Yeah. The last time I went to a New York open mic, I said this. I said, it looks like to me, I said, I'm not from around here, but it looks like to me that what you do at this open mic is that you come in and you're, you're pretty excited and you tell your jokes and then you leave real sad. Yeah. And that's what I did when I lived there. And then I, and I s- thought you were going to come live there with me and then you didn't yeah. and you just left me in New York City. Yeah. Well, I said to them at that open mic, uh, I said that and then they all laughed. It was a good time. Uh-huh. Well, you got away with words, Dusty. But, you know, I know we teased on some food service jobs, but we really talked about it a lot. We got more topics, but we're we're over an hour. We're going to let's wrap it up. The segments were too hot today. They were they were hot. Let's wrap it up. I had a great time in Montreal. Really fun time. I'm being Huntsville. Uh, August 1st, throughout the weekend. Hannah will be uh, in Nashville all week. Go to hannahogancomedy.com. But Friday at... Third Coast Comedy, 10 p.m. Come that, check us out. That's the show she's really pushing. Go for that one. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Killer Bees thing. I don't know what that's like. With, I don't know if it's... Is it open to the public? The, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, so... That's fun. That's going to be a good time. Killer Bees, real staple in Nashville comedy for a long time. That's going to be an entirely clean comedy. Some people say that Zany's is the house that Bees built, is what they say. Yeah, Killer his pictures Bees. up on the wall beside yeah. Jerry Seinfeld and Jay yeah. Leno. So Killer Bee, you know, we, you know, uh, we both worked with him, but he is a legendary dude. He's a legendary road comic for sure. And he's from Mobile, from Mobile, Alabama. You so. may know someone in that Mobile train right Yeah, there. save up. And, uh, but he's funny. Yeah. Save up. And, uh, uh, but, uh, if you like this, you know, share this with somebody, share this on your social media or just share it with a friend. Uh, tell one friend, tell one friend, I leave a rating, uh, give us a five star review. And, uh, I know it, I know it's, it's boring to do that. I know it, like you gotta, it's hard to kind of find it on iTunes, but just do it like real quick. Even if you don't want to write something, give us a little star. I read them all. I appreciate them. And uh, I, I say I read them all. There's three right now. <laughs> yeah, you, you I've read do, them. You should start your day with a five-star review. If you wake up, you go on your phone, you give our podcast a five-star review at 7 a.m., think about the good energy you've just put out in the world. You've yeah. just helped someone immediately. I tell you what. If I, you, I, I, I dare you to have a bad day with that kind of karma If you, you started. This is what I'll say. If you go on, you give us a five-star review, and you write something, screenshot it, Send it to us 
at uh, dusty.slay at gmail.com, and I'll send you something for free. Oh, he sends you a little shirt. Dusty got some hot merch. I'm not going to say I'm going to send you a shirt. Oh. But I'll send you something. It may be a shirt. You got some hot stickers. But I'm not, I don't, you know, I want to get reviews, but I don't, I don't want, you know, I don't want to give away a bunch of shirts. We got a couple coffee mugs we don't really drink. But I got some stuff. I got pictures. I got some stickers. I got, I got shirts. I got some different things. Uh, I would, I would think, uh, in the, in the area of getting a picture or a sticker, but, uh, you never know. That's fun, though. You never know. how. However good the review looks, make it a great review, get a great prize. And if it's a, if you write a funny joke, we'll, we'll, make, we'll read it. Yeah, exactly. Write a joke, we'll read it. Um, that's that's true. Um, maybe I could give you, you know, maybe you'll get a Making That Fudge CD, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So who knows? Mm-hmm. But do that. Give us a review. And, and my website's DustySlay.com. I'm at DustySlay on Twitter and Instagram. I may delete Twitter. I'm deleting it. I, I, I'm debating it. Twitter kind of sucks for me. And It's um, a bastion of it's malcontent. Just, it's negative, and my, my followers don't grow. I keep pushing it, but I'm like, I don't even know why. Uh, I love Facebook. I love Instagram. I don't care for Twitter. Uh, but also, uh, Hannah is Hannah Hogan comedy and at, and at miss Hannah Hogan on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, thank you very much. And we're having a good time. <laughs> <laughs>